Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The Old Testament lesson for today is from Jonah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This can be found on page 920 of your Pew Bible. Jonah, the reluctant prophet, discovers himself in the belly of a fish after attempting to run away from the Lord. Finding himself in the depths, he has, he, he has a moment of transformation and reaches out to God. This is his prayer, a reading from Jonah chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Do you ever wish you could just book an appointment with God? Wouldn't that be great? You knew where his office was. I mean, you know where to find your dentist. You can schedule an appointment with your dentist or you might have a therapist and you can book some time with him or her. But wouldn't it be great if you knew where God's office was? I once heard a conversation, something like that, and the person replied to the person wondering where God's office is or if you could have it, access to it. And the person said, oh, no, 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 we know where God's office is. God's office is found at the end of our rope. Or another way of saying it is when we come to the end of ourselves, we find the beginning of our Savior. When we come to the end of our capacities, when we reach our human limitations, it's there that God can begin doing business with us. We're in God's office when we come to the end of our rope. Today we continue our series on Jonah and we find our hapless, reluctant prophet Jonah finding himself at the end of his rope, at the end of himself, at the end of his capacities, ultimately being confronted with his own limitations. And there he finds himself in God's office. We're going to hear a conversation that he has 
with God, when God can really do business with him. Do you want to meet God in his office today? Yes? All right, it's going to take a little bit of understanding of our own limitations then. We have to humble ourselves, or be humbled, as it were, in Jonah's case. Then we can do business with God. He can do business with us. So let's go into Jonah to find out what business God wants to have with us. I want to quickly give a reminder of where we are in the series. It's the season of Lent, and we're going through Jonah. Pastor David preached on Jonah chapter 1 last week. He preached quite brilliantly on that chapter, but I am going to review just an aspect of it. In case you weren't here last week, I want to bring you up to speed of where we are in the story. Jonah received a word from the Lord. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. This is what God says to Jonah, the prophet. He's in Israel. And Jonah, God says this to Jonah, chapter 1, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the enemies of Israel. And uh, they were cruel. They were terrible. They, they worshipped false gods, and they had terrible warfare tactics. Think of the enemies of God in the worst possible way you can imagine. This is the Ninevites. God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, that might sound fun, you call out against the enemies of God, but Jonah doesn't quite react positively to this. Verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah heard this message from God, go to the Ninevites, go to the Assyrians, call out against them, not in a way that just gets to go around, you know, um, telling them how sinful they are and then walking away. No, Jonah knew that calling out against them was providing an opportunity for the Assyrians, for the Ninevites to repent, to turn, and therefore to receive God's mercy. So God was sending Jonah on a mission of mercy to the enemies of Jonah. And how did Jonah feel about it? What did Jonah do? I want to show you that map again that Pastor David showed last week. This is how Jonah felt about that message of mercy. God said, go to Nineveh, give them my mercy. And Jonah said, no way. And he went down to the docks and he found a sea captain and he said, I'll take one ticket, please, to not Nineveh. And he fled. He went as far away as he possibly could. He was offended by the idea that his enemies could receive God's mercy. Jonah wanted not mercy for God's enemies. He wanted judgment. He wanted judgment for them and favor for me. Judgment for them, favor for me. Now you might be thinking to yourself, man, Jonah, geez, pretty stingy with God's mercy there. You might easily distance yourself from that type of thinking. Think you have nothing in common with Jonah. That if you got a message from God saying, I want you to bring my message of mercy to your enemies, you might think, I wouldn't make the same mistake Jonah would do. I would be obedient. I would follow God. I would tell even my enemies about God's mercy. And if you think that's you, let me ask you a couple questions. You're driving down the road, okay? Just imagine yourself driving down the road. And you see in your rearview mirror... Some idiot driving through traffic, swerving in and out. And suddenly that driver cuts you off, okay? And he's, he's, you've had to put on your brakes, and it's a, he's a danger to himself and to other drivers. And then you see, welcome, Andrew. Officer Greco's here with us today, one of Greenwich's finest. You see Officer Greco turn on his lights, and he's pulling the guy over. What do you want for that driver? 
Come on, tell me, what do you want? <laughs> Judgment, don't you? Come on, Andrew, give him the full extent of the law. That's what you want, isn't it? Okay, all right. Now let's imagine a different scenario. You're driving down the road, and Officer Greco pulls you over. The lights are behind you now, and you're getting pulled over, and he's standing outside your door. You've rolled down your window. What do you want from Officer Greco? Mercy, Mercy favor. You see? You're Jonah. Judgment for them, favor for me. Any one of us would have gotten on that boat to Tarshish. There's an expression that was probably being used in Jonah's time when they thought about the Assyrians, when they thought about these enemies of God. And the expression went something like this. We hear about it in verse 8. Jonah says this in verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who bow down to false, those like the Assyrians, they bow down to Baal and Asherah, those who pay regard to false idols, they, for, they forfeit God's mercy. They got it coming, right? This is probably a common expression in Jonah's time. We understand this. We say things like this, don't we? Help, help me finish this phrase. Those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Yeah, so we get this, right? You got it coming to you. If, you. if you're living that kind of lifestyle and you get something broken in your life, you had it coming. You have forfeited God's steadfast love. You forfeited God's mercy. This is probably a common expression among the Israelites when they thought about the Assyrians. Those who pay regard to false idols forsake God's steadfast love. Just judgment for them. Favor for me. And what Jonah's doing here when he gets on this boat is what many of us do. There's really no better word for it than rebellion. He's rebelling against God. He's rebelling against the idea that God would extend his mercy to his enemies. Now, we don't think, at least for me, when I think about rebellion, I think of breaking all the rules, wild living, that sort of thing. But rebellion can sometimes look like this. It can look like what Jonah was doing. He's living very righteously. I follow all God's rules. I haven't forfeited God's love. Unlike, see, he's judging others. See, that's actually a form of rebellion too. And it's basically what it is, is is it's selfishness. It's self-absorption. Judgment for them, favor for me. That's just all about me. And where does that type of believing, where does that type of living, where does that theology lead us? Well, ultimately, as we're going to see in the story, it leads us to spiritual death. Jonah does get on that boat to not Nineveh. And he's on his way there, and God starts sending some judgment his way in the form of a big storm. And this big storm is, is swirling around the boat. This is all in chapter 1. And the other seamen on the boat are confused. They're trying to figure out whose fault this is. And Jonah looks around. He looks at the storm, and he looks at the people on the ship. And he, you know what he says? He says, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. And they throw him overboard, and the wind stops, and he begins sinking all the way down into the darkness, into the deep, deep sea. And as he's sinking down, he's, well, he ends up in the, in the belly of a fish. For all intents and purposes, this is a pictorial representation of death. Jonah is reaching the end of his rope. Jonah's reaching the end of himself. His own selfish motives have led him to the one place that selfish motives lead us. And that's where we pick up our story today, in God's office. 
where God has Jonah's attention now and can do business with him. And he has our attention, I hope, as well. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, in God's office, as it were, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. You see, Jonah is now, for the first time in the whole book, talking to God. He ran away. God's been talking to him. He ran away from God, and finally he's in God's office. He's talking, talking directly to God. You heard my voice. Where? In the belly of Sheol. You see that word Sheol in the text? Sheol, in the Old Testament, they didn't have a fully formed understanding of hell, but they would talk about Sheol. Sheol just basically means nothingness, aloneness, cut off. It's, think of it as the opposite of shalom. Sheol is the opposite of shalom. Shalom is in the fullness of the presence of God, connection with God and connection with others, like we're experiencing right now in this room. Shalom, the Holy Spirit is with us. Sheol is the opposite of that. Sheol is just nothingness, death, being separated from God. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, verse 3, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Pay attention as we move through this whole chapter to how many times Jonah mentions the water, the waves, the billows. We're going to come back to that theme at the end, this concept of waters and being sunken down into them. But notice this phrase with me in verse 3. He's talking to God now and he says, Lord, you cast me into the deep. Notice that. You cast me. Jonah's recognizing that even this hardship in his life, even this reaching the end of himself, the end of his rope, this is something that has been ordained under the sovereign hand and plan of God. You cast me. You sent that storm. See, God is extending his mercy to Jonah even in the hardship. This is an amazing thing to pray. You cast me. I've noticed in my own life, when I look back, even if I look back at the last five or six years, and I look at those times, those moments in my life that were hard, those moments when I reached the end of myself, the end of my rope, the end of my capacities, when I understood my own limitations, it's those moments I was realizing God was holding me fast. God was able to do business with me. There was a moment deep in the pandemic when I realized it was hard being a leader in the pandemic because you had to make decisions <laughs> that upset people. You know, decisions about masks and worship and all that stuff. And I realized there was one moment during deep in the pandemic, I thought, Lord, I think I've succeeded in upsetting everybody. Everyone's been mad at me at one point or another. And I felt like it was the end of myself. You know, I, my own wisdom, my own capacities, my own cleverness, my own schemes, they weren't working anymore. I look back at that time and I thank God for it. Because in that humility, in that diminishment of self and ego, I was in God's office and he was doing some of his best work in me. I needed that. You cast me into the deep, says Jonah in verse 3. Now he's fully in the presence and in conversation with God in his office. And this is what begins to happen now for any of us if we get to that place, if we can humble ourselves or be humbled 
and begin talking with our Savior. Look what happens in verse 4. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. See what's happening in this phrase, in this moment, is that Jonah is beginning to turn. He's beginning to turn back. He's been going all the way to Tarshish. He's been following his own ideas, his own capacity, his own schemes, and he's going all the way to Tarshish, and now he's in the belly of the fish. He's effectively dead. He's in Sheol. But now God's doing business with him, and he says, Lord, I will, I will remember you in your temple. And he's aiming his heart now back towards Jerusalem, back towards the temple. You know that scene in the, in the Gospels when Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal? And the younger son in the parable of the prodigal, well, he too finds himself in God's office. It happens to look like a pig pen. He's reached the end of himself. He's reached the end of his rope. And he's sitting among the pigs in the mud. And he's starving. And he sees that the pigs have food and he doesn't. And he says, I got to get back to my father's house. And he turns. That's called repentance. And he turns back to his father's house. Jonah's having a similar moment. He's not in a pig pen. He's in the belly of a fish. He's in Sheol. He's been cut off. And he says, I got to get back to my father's house. And he turns. He continues his prayer in verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Before I get to that next phrase, I'm just I'm reminded of um, you know, there's a guy named Eugene Peterson, and he did like a interpretation of the Bible, not a translation, but an interpretation called the Message. And I love what he says in Matthew five verse three. It's the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus. In Matthew five verse three, he phrases it like this: He says, "You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and His rule." This is where Jonah is. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. You see, he's dying to himself. Less of you. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. There's comedy in Jonah, by the way. This is supposed to be funny, I think. Seaweeds wrapped around Jonah's head. What's going on there? I read some commentaries about this. They're, they're surmising that Maybe it's just a picture that Jonah is being absorbed back into the earth. From dust we came to dust we shall return. He's just turning back into nature now. He's becoming one with the seaweed. Verse 6, at the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed in around me, upon me forever. Yet, yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. See, he's being raised now from death to life. But notice what he says here. In verse 3, he says, you cast me into the deep. And now he's saying, you are raising me up out of the pit. Even our repentance, even what the prodigal son and the pig pen sensed, I got to get back to my father's house. Even what Jonah feels in the belly of this fish, I got to remember the Lord in his temple. Even when we experience repentance and turning and moving back towards God, that too is an act of grace. It's an act of mercy. It's initiated by God, not us. The book of Ephesians in the New Testament describes it this way You were dead. In your trespasses and sins, but God, 
being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Have you turned? Have you repented? Have you had those moments in your life where you say, I got to get back to my father's house. I got to get back into the presence of God. Even those moments, we can't give ourselves a pat on the back for that. God initiated it. By grace, we have been saved. Our whole lives are held in the palm of God's hand. He holds us fast. Whether we're turning away from him or turning towards him, God is there. God is initiating. You see, what what we need to realize in, in the belly of the fish, as it were, in Sheol, in this place of desperation and humility, we need to realize that we too, not just our enemies, if we're offended by God extending mercy to our enemies, it's because we haven't realized how much we need God's mercy. You see, Jonah's at the end of himself. He's, he's turning, he's repenting, and he's about to offer some confession in the next couple of verses, which we're going to see. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You see what Jonah's in this prayer? He's not saying this about the Ninevites. He's confessing, he's saying it about himself. What's the vain idol that we bow down to when we act like Jonah? It's not Baal or Asherah or any of the idols the Ninevites were bowing down to. It's the idol of self. Jonah's confessing now. He's realizing, I've bowed down to vain idols. I've been putting myself on the throne. And that's made me miss out on God's mercy, God's steadfast love. He's not wagging his finger anymore at his enemies. He's saying, I'm the problem, it's me. I need God's mercy. Verse 9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. But I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, in his mind, he's back in the temple now. He's back in Jerusalem. And what's he doing there? He's meeting at his father's house, and he's making a sacrifice to God. Jonah knows there's only one reason to make sacrifice in the temple. And that's as an atonement of sin. He's in full confession mode here now. I want to go back to the temple. I want to make a sacrifice. In the temple structure, what you would do is you would, you'd walk into the temple. You would buy a sacrificial animal like a lamb. And you would symbolically transfer your sin onto the animal, onto the lamb. And then what would happen to that lamb? It would be killed, it would die, it would be sacrificed because there's an understanding that our sin is is serious, our sin deserves God's wrath. But in his mercy, he's provided a way that we don't have to die, we don't have to pay. And so they would see the animal die in their place. And he wants to get back to the temple so he can make that atoning sacrifice. Well, here's the good news for us. Thank God for Jesus the sacrificial lamb on our behalf. Not only does he invite us to transfer, to impute our sins onto him so that he can die in our place, but here's the amazing thing. The experience Jonah had of being cast down into the belly of the fish, being cast away, the opposite of shalom is sheol. That sheol that Jonah experienced, we don't actually have to go through what Jonah went through to its full extent. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus, under the weight of all of our sin, was cast into Sheol. 
He went there for us. Those bars that closed in around Jonah closed in around Jesus so that we don't have to experience that. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Verse 10, it concludes the prayer here. And there's something really, there's another moment of comedy here. His prayer is done. He's, he's back in the temple. He can't wait to get back there and receive God's mercy for himself. Verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Can you picture it? I know you don't really want to. <laughs> we were talking about this among the pastors last week and um, Pastor David was, was sick. And he looked at this verse and he said, you know, the only thing worse than vomiting is being vomited. Here's Jonah being vomited out onto dry land. All right, I'll move on from that visual. I know you're waiting for me. Should we stay there for a couple more minutes? No. So now Jonah's back on dry land. He's got his, his, his legs back on dry land. And I want you to see something with me. I want you to see what Jonah went through, okay? Four times he talks about the waters, the billows, the waves, the death to self. You see what what this is in Jonah's chapter 1 and 2? Being submerged under the waters and being brought back into new life. Jonah was a pictorial representation of what we experience in baptism. Jonah was being baptized. This is what happens in baptism. We die to ourselves and we live for God. The old self, the sinful self, the ego-driven self dies under the threshold of the waters of baptism and the new life that we get as we emerge back out of the threshold of the water is new life in Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Romans chapter 6 puts it this way. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? See, we don't have to go through what Jonah went through all the way tasting Sheol. We just get to get dunked in water. That's a joyful, wonderful experience because Jesus went to Sheol for us. So when we get baptized, we're participating mystically, spiritually with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 4 of Romans 6, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We too can get vomited back out onto the shore, as it were placed on new legs, given a new direction. You see, he's now aiming in the right direction. This is what happens to us in baptism. I don't want to go my way anymore, Lord. I don't want to rebel against you. I want to go your way. Last um, September, we had a a baptism ceremony as we do um, that time of year, every year. And we had more people wanting to be baptized this past year than I've ever seen in the life of this church. I've been here almost 13 years. It was awesome. And the eagerness of those folks on that day, 24 people, to get in those waters and to be dunked, to experience this death and new life, to meet God in his office, as it were, and to live a new life oriented towards him was so awesome. It was so palpable. And even since that day last September, we've been in conversation with five or six other people who are saying, I want to be baptized too. And I'm trying to figure out a way not to make them have to wait till next September. We actually bought a, 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 a heatable tub and we're going to put it out there as soon as the, what, the snow melts. We're going to put it out here right here at the church. If that's something you're interested in, if you're feeling that tug, if you want that 
Jonah experience without the depth of Sheol. If you want baptism, new life in Christ, let me know. Email one of the pastors. We'll sign you up for that. If the weather's nice enough on Easter, we'll do it on Easter Sunday, like the age-old tradition of the church. But don't you see that at all of most of Christian disciplines are simply providing a, an environment in which we can reach or come to or even contemplate the end of ourselves so that we can meet with God. That's one of the reasons I'm calling us to a fast this Thursday. We say, we're going to say no to eating just a couple of meals. And I'll tell you, if you've never done this before, you're going to get hungry. You're going to probably get grumpy. And you might be frustrated, and, and, but, but work through that. Push through that wall, because on the other side of that death to self is the beginning of a conversation with God that you might not have otherwise had if you didn't fast. So I hope you'll take me up on this invitation, church. Baptism, fasting, but ultimately we, we do a practice like this every Sunday here. When we come to the Lord's table for a communion, we say, Lord, I've been going my own way. We make confession like Jonah did. And unlike him who thought he had to go to the temple to sacrifice an animal, we come to the Lord's table and we realize Jesus is that once and for all sacrifice for us. I love what it says in Psalm 16. God promises, he says, I will, I will never abandon you to Sheol. Psalm 16. How could God make good on that promise? Because he allowed himself to be abandoned to Sheol in our place. This is what we remember when we come to this table. This is God's office. We confess that our own human capacities have led us to spiritual death. And we say, Lord, I want more of you now. So will you stand, please, and join me in our communion hymn as we prepare our hearts to meet the Lord in his office. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.